0: It's good to have some technical resources that that know the industry, whether that's within the the activist portion of it or or within the elected officials, or even if there's IT staff in City Hall that want to take this on.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul, Minnesota. And today I'm speaking to Bruce McDougall, uh, who is a member of the Anacortes City Council. Uh, that is a part-time position. And so like many people who are, who are working to better their communities in an elected position, he also works as an outside position. Um, and he works for Cisco Systems uh, as well, where he is a consulting engineer. Welcome to the show, Bruce.
0: Thanks, Christopher. Great, uh, great to be here.
1: This is one of those shows that I wanted to do like two years ago. Like uh, I, know, I knew that good things were happening, but we always like to let things uh, simmer a little bit so that we can talk about what's been done rather than what you plan to do. And it seems like now you're in a, a good stage to do that.
0: Yeah, timing is good. Um, we've made progress on construction and turning up customers here in the last 12 months. So uh, yeah, so we have like real things to, to report at this point.
1: Excellent. So let's start uh, with Anacortes. Uh, Anacortes is in Washington, uh, Washington State, for folks who are not familiar with it. Uh, tell us a little bit about it and, and, and what one might expect if they visited.
0: Yeah, Anacortes is about an hour north of Seattle along the along the coast. The uh, It's kind of the gateway to the San Juan Islands. A lot of folks, uh, a lot of boating around here. Uh, it's a town of about 17,000 people. Um and it's just far enough away that we have we have some folks that commute to and from Seattle, but it is mostly uh work folks that work here, although with the pandemic we're actually starting to see more uh more people that can work remotely move into town.
1: And is that creating growing pains? I'm always curious. I feel like usually there's half people are excited about it and half of the people are saying it's killing our town.
0: You know, I think uh, like the entire West Coast is experiencing a certain amount of growing pains. Um, there's a, a lot of pressure on real estate prices and things like that. So I think every, everywhere from you know Vancouver on down to San Diego has kind of similar problems.
1: Okay, so Anacortes, um, 17,000 people. Usually that means that there is a cable system, maybe some DSL, maybe a little bit of fiber also, but um, give us a sense of what it was like when you and uh, and as a citizen activist to start, but also later as a member of the city council, what made you feel that you needed to make an investment in a municipal fiber network?
0: I got introduced to some friends here in town that had been kind of the original activists for it. Uh, um, a lady by the name of Pam Allen and a gentleman named Wayne Hughesby. And um, Pam wanted to saw, I guess, municipal broadband as an economic development tool. And and Wayne uh, was a retired Verizon engineer. And the mayor at the time was also interested in, in doing something, but they hadn't really formulated what they wanted to do. They knew that the nearby community of Mount Vernon um, had built a, a fiber optic network to serve their you know their community institutions and kind of you know their downtown business core um, and that was a really visionary project uh, a gentleman named Kim Kleppy had led that uh, that effort and they got started I think even in the late nineties
1: yes, and Kim Kim talked about that on our show and it's uh, it's wonderful and they I know they then also worked with uh Burlington and uh, Port of Skagit as well mm-hmm. yeah we'll talk about that in, in a little bit. I want to come back to what the what the county's doing as well I think in, in part based on that enthusiasm and yours.
0: Yeah, so in those early times, I, uh, my family and I had actually just moved to Anacortes from Denver. I'm originally from the area, so it was, it was kind of coming back home. And I had been working in, you know, with, I guess, in the telecom sector for quite a long time at that point, 15, 20 years, and a lot of exposure to, um, to ISPs as well as the interplay between ISPs and kind of dynamics of the internet, the emergence of cloud and cord cutting and things like that. hmm And and saw it as actually kind of a a unique opportunity for a a small community to kind of differentiate itself um, to sort of create like real 21st century infrastructure that could then act as kind of an economic driver for, you know, for attracting um, knowledge industry um, companies and workers and things like that. So that was kind of how I got started was just meeting those folks and then seeing this dynamic and seeing this possibility for, you know, a really cool infrastructure add to, to the community.
1: So let me ask you this, because this is a step that I feel like a number of people are, 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 are in. You're, you made some friends. You're talking about it. You're maybe getting together at a coffee shop or bars or from one of each other's homes to talk a little bit about it. How, do you, how did you get to the next step? What was next?
0: I think really key was that the mayor um, in the 2013 election had had spoken about it as something that she was interested in investing in, and while while she didn't have detailed plan, um, you know, she said it was it was something that she wanted to to look into to try to do, and then our sort of three person um, group we we were given the opportunity to come in and basically do a few several education sessions with the the sitting city council and mayor. So we developed presentations, we would go in and just do what were at the time called study sessions, where we simply provided at first, you know, here's the basics of what broadband is, what fiber optics is. And then we kind of built on it from there sort of into like, you know, an exploration of what a community broadband network could look like, different models for how it could be done. I want to say we did three or four presentations. Um, we also spoke to other groups like the Chamber of Commerce hosted us um, to do a, a presentation for them. And that kind of got things rolling where as the existing city council at the time became more comfortable with the idea, they started to show interest in, like they could maybe spend some money on doing a, a feasibility study or something like that. And we actually proposed a uh, fund a feasibility study they ended up i want to say about 2015 the city staff sort of public works folks uh, built a kind of a quick rfp that went out to they, they tried to get basically folks to bid on do you know like consulting on a feasibility study mm-hmm. and they didn't really get um very good response it was i think it was kind of early days and you know not many folks have built out this sort of consultancy kind of uh, kind of business. So actually. In talking it over with a couple of council members that I had befriended at the time, they basically asked if I could pr- provide, like, kind of build a, a do-it-yourself feasibility <laughs> study.
1: It seems like it seems like a nice way of saying they they told you to put up or shut up. <laughs> Maybe
0: one of them joked. Uh, but something about conscripting,
1: <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so then, so, so you basically had to become more of an expert than someone who thought it was a good idea, someone who knew a lot about the technology, but actually having to really look at the business models and things like that.
0: Put some time and skin in the game. Yeah.
1: How did that go? I mean, I think you 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 um, you had the benefit of going to some events. I think, if I remember correctly,
0: I got to go to a couple events. Um, there was one that was held at the kind of in Skagit County and a bunch of community, I guess representatives from the different communities around the the county and including the mayor of Mount Vernon and Kim Klebe as well. Uh, Another event that took place down in Seattle and that was more of like a Washington state broadband discussion. Um, And then in in my job, uh, I spend a lot of time just researching like how how to apply a given technology to a given customer problem. and specifically, like you know, ISP kinds of things, and so it was pretty natural for me to just start kind of doing some digging around mm-hmm. the internet, looking for examples. Um, uh, we actually did a, a road trip down to Sandy, Oregon, where they had mm. um, been had built and had been operating a citywide fiber optic network for very a few years at that time.
1: Yeah, that would have been uh, Joe Knapp was running it at the time. I think he's yes. moved on, but Jeremy Petzold is still there.
0: Yep. Those guys were really gracious in hosting us for kind of an all day event and tour of their, uh, their setup and uh, answered a ton of questions and they, they were super helpful. Uh, And that was also a really key, like all through this process, one of the real keys is building sort of just confidence within the elected folks, as well as the staff, uh, Mm -hmm. the staff that would have to actually execute the plan, you know, uh, and And just getting confident that, yes, this is this is technology, it's probably something that not very many folks are are super familiar with. But as a municipal entity, we we have a water treatment plant um, that that serves our community and actually three other communities around the area. And this thing is, you know, it's a 40 million dollar a year operation, this water treatment plant. It is much bigger than a little ISP that would say have, you know, 3000 customers. Um, and the stakes are much higher too with that water treatment plant because if something goes wrong, you know, we've you, got bad water.
1: <laughs> yeah, and for people who who aren't familiar, it's also like the technology is changing. Um, there's increasingly mm-hmm. concern about keeping pharmaceuticals out, so this is not something yeah. where it's just sort of like you're doing the same thing you were doing 20 years ago. Because sometimes people belittle other utilities and say, "Well, those things are are easier. They're they're not as rapidly changing as broadband." But uh, mm-hmm. but they each have a lot of things that are not only dangerous, but rapidly changing.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, how did uh, you
1: build up their confidence? Because that's a, it's a really good point. I think that's really important.
0: Mm-hmm. Kind of continued exposure, continued education about it. The trip down to Sandy, Oregon, I was, I was not on the council yet at that time, uh, but the mayor went and, um, one of the council members, the head of public works and a couple other folks, um, and that was really great for for the mayor and the council member and head of public works to all see. Here's an ISP, and it's not just um, a fiber optic network that sort of serves the business core. It's like every every address in town uh, has the ability to be hooked up to this fiber network. And to see them running it, uh, at, you know, at a profit uh, down there, and and they weren't like massively staffed up or anything. It's a uh, you know, it was its own small, self-contained department. That was really big. There were other visits that happened where the mayor and pu- head of public works went and visited some of the PUD um, public utility district networks mm-hmm. around Washington state. They went to Eastern Washington and saw some of those. And we also brokered, uh, started developing a relationship with NOAA net, which is the, I, th- I would say that they are a facilitator slash network operator for open access networks that various PUD um, districts around the state run
1: right then the northwest open access network NOAA, uh net yeah. and um and yeah they've been around for 22 years i think uh the mm-hmm. the puds formed them back in 99 if i remember correctly
0: yeah and uh they they're a terrific partner both for the puds and they later on they became our partner in a slightly different role um but simply having brokered those relationships, or, you know, the, the mayor and staff and various council members sort of starting to de- develop these relationships in addition to the education sessions. Um, it really worked to to get everyone's comfortable level or comfort level up that, hey, we could, we could actually do this.
1: Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That's something that hasn't come up before, but I think it's incredibly important, uh, especially for a city that doesn't have a municipal electric department. Um, to really engage mm-hmm. in that sense of, of there are good ways of doing about it. And then just knowing that you did all those visits. The other piece of that is, um, we need, uh, cities to have many people on the council interested in it and others who are digging into it. Uh, it doesn't work to have one person who's sort of the, the know-it-all. Um, you know, we, we always, we always say we want to have a champion, but, uh, we need to make sure that, that, there's a lot of people in the city who are taking it seriously and learning about it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. A council person had stepped down for personal reasons in mid-2017, and we have a process where community members can apply to uh, be appointed to replace that person until, you know, the next election.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: myself and a couple other folks had applied, and because I had been working with the council on, you know, in kind of a volunteer sort of consultant status or, or manner, um, they chose me as the one to be appointed in that, that June or whatever it was. Uh, and one of the key questions was: they wanted to know of this person who they would appoint. Or do they plan on, you know, serving like running for election in November and serving a, a true term? Like they wanted somebody who was committed. And I had said, absolutely, I plan to run. Uh, so I started serving mid two thousand seventeen. Got actually elected in November. Once I started, I kind of continued the work of just sort of talking with the fellow council members, talking with uh, with staff members about. You know, the, the importance and the confidence building measures that we can do this um, had an early kind of business model that worked out the costs of of what construction might look like and, and what staffing might look like. It was kind of really a framework. Um, got some really good numbers from Kim and Mount Vernon again. Also, just sort of researching other projects around the country, uh, like Lafayette, Louisiana, or Chattanooga, Tennessee, a couple in Colorado as well, to just kind of get to get numbers and comparative numbers, to have a sense for what this project might cost. Mm
1: -hmm. And so at what point did you know that it was gonna happen?
0: We had two pivotal points where we decided to issue an RFP to find a, to basically develop a public private partnership for us to kind of build and own a network and we were seeking someone to operate the network. And that could be like an open access proposal, or it could be just, you know, an ISP who would be willing to essentially offer in, like an ISP set of services over our physical network. We got some responses back, in, including some numbers. And and I, to be honest, um, I, I didn't really want to go down that path because I felt like the Sandy Oregon model was actually the proper the best model anyway from a financial perspective
1: where the city would be in charge of just about everything and take care of it
0: exactly yeah we have all the capital outlay for construction and everything um and so then you know somebody has to staff it and you you could either pay somebody to you know to run it or you could build some staff and run it yourself and then have all the revenue come in as opposed to some sort of revenue split Mm -hmm. and what i was what i was seeing was with cord cutting both of phones and essentially of TV, the, the move to streaming services, the idea of like an open access sort of model where you've got some, a bunch of little ISPs that are competing and then they're selling these bundles, like there isn't really a point in bundles anymore. It's just internet. And you can get your TV from YouTube and you can get your phone from a VoIP provider. So it didn't make sense to have competing ISPs. I don't think anymore. Like I'm kind of post sort of open access, um, but then if we split with some ISP, they're going to want, you know, X amount of the, like, say, the revenue from a from a user on a monthly basis. We got some numbers back and actually ran it. And the return on investment for construction, it was going to take the city, like, a long time, basically, yes. 50 plus years. Whereas if we just ran it in-house and got creative with staffing, we could have an ROI of much closer to, like, 15 years.
1: What does that mean to to get creative with staffing?
0: What that actually fundamentally meant was the biggest challenge that our staff was looking at was how do we run a 24-7 NOC,
1: like
0: network operations center and Mm -hmm. customer support? Because that right there is, you know, to run the day-to-day ISP, like during business hours, four people, basically. But to run 24-7, you just tripled the staff. And we were able to partner with NoNet. This is where... We're just really thankful to to be partnered with them, um, because they're running a bunch of networks around the state anyway. They've got a twenty four seven knock. That's right. Yep. So we can basically pay them kind of you know a, a small p- fee per per subscriber per month, and and they cover that twenty four seven aspect of it, and that totally took care of the, the staffing problem. And, you know, now our OPEX or operational expenses are basically a staff of like four or five. And then fortunately, you know, this increasing monthly number that goes to NoNet because we have customer numbers increasing, um, but it's, you know, it's not a full headcount uh, kind of number.
1: Yes. And this is something that I think we will see from more municipal networks that are growing because there are already so many NOCs out there. It, it does not make sense. And I actually think we may see more municipal networks and fewer NOCs because some of the existing municipal networks are choosing to work together on some of those aspects. Totally agree. Yeah. So um, anyway, I interrupted you though as you were telling the story of of what was going next. So you um, were looking at the numbers. You decided that it would uh, a partnership would not make a lot of sense. And so, um, did, was it difficult to convince other folks that it was safer to to do it yourself?
0: Yeah. To be honest, the the within city hall staff was used to running um, running things like road department and water uh, water treatment plant and things like that and and parks department and the idea of running an isp was very daunting and and once we got past it was the thing that was actually the real daunting thing was that 24/7 support because i think you know we we were able to get past the idea of having a network engineer on staff who managed the um, the gpon equipment and the routers and things like that that was not a huge deal and we were able to get past the idea of having you know somebody to manage the outside plant and then we would need some installation crew for, we were projecting like a four year construction project. So we would need one or two installation crews. And that was all after, this was a lot of our several internal discussions. We can kind of get past these pieces where um, everyone can wrap their, around, their heads around these roles. And the sticking point was that 24 seven support where, and, and I remember, you know, Great conversation with uh, head of public works and you know the mayor and a couple other council members in the room at the time, and our head of public works just said like I'm not in a position where I can be a, be taking a phone call at 3 a.m. because there's a fiber cut and and me knowing what to do really like mm-hmm. I'm just not comfortable with that, and that's totally reasonable for him to not be comfortable with that because he's done a very different kind of uh, you know run very different kinds of infrastructure. But we ended up going back to Noanet and and asking them. Basically, um, Noanet was not actually able to bid on being the company that ran the ISP because they're not they're not legally allowed to be a retail right. ISP.
1: Or they were not at the time. Uh, now it's uh, times have changed. Now, <laughs> well, I, I should say I, I believe their bylaws may not allow them to, but the state law has changed in such that I'm I think that they may be permitted to do so now if they so chose.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Okay. Yeah. At the time they weren't allowed to, so they they couldn't bid. Um, Had they been allowed to at the time we might've gone just with a partnership with them, Mm -hmm. Uh, but we went back to them and we asked, you know, we don't need you to run a retail operation here. Can you simply provide knock 24 seven and, you know, to be able to answer that phone. And and they said, you know, let us get back to you. Like we're, and they went back. And I think they ran some numbers and they came back with a proposal Mm -hmm. and, It basically fit where it's like, all right, now we, with our projected staffing installation and kind of construction schedule, we think we can target a 15-year ROI. And that was kind of the voila.
1: And now you've been building it and connecting folks. And how are your, your assumptions holding up? Are they looking pretty good right now?
0: The assumptions are looking pretty good, actually, yeah. We were projecting the total construction to be about 15 to 18 million. The town is about half aerial utilities, so we can run fiber along you know, the utility poles. And we partner with PSE as the local power company. Mm-hmm. They've been a great partner there as well. The other half is all underground. Some of it's pretty rocky. Part of the construction is pretty cheap. And we actually went and hit uh, or passed about 1,300 buildings kind of as fast as we could in the aerial. Try to get a bunch of customers, a bunch of revenue on. And then in kind of year two and three, we're starting to, you know, we're doing some trenching and uh, some harder, more expensive work.
1: And you're having people sign up and people are liking the service. I mean, that's sort of the key.
0: (laughs) The council at the beginning of 2019 allocated kind of a, a $3 million sort of loan to the fiber department essentially that came out of kind of a surplus fund that we had. So we're really fortunate that we had that that chunk of money because it would have been difficult to just get a bank loan or something or you know a bond out of the gate because we have no customers no revenue we were able to loan ourselves that that 3 million dollars the fiber department got started you know constructing past what we called at the time three trial zones so one kind of a business district and then two residential areas utility or uh, aerial utility and the target was if if we have like 35% of the addresses signed up for service within a certain time frame then we we think you know we're a go like we can we can really do this we got probably 25 or 30% of the addresses in those areas signed up i'm going to say you know at some point sort of late 2019 and we felt like that was like rather than wait for the full 35 like we're we're well on track we think if we start actually turning customers up you know we'll we'll get Past that thirty-five percent, right? We started. We started activating customers. We had kind of two really early adopters get turned up in January of twenty twenty, and then kind of late February twenty twenty, we were just ramping up to start doing lots of installs. And the pandemic hit, mm-hmm. <laughs> and now so we had. I want to say we had eighteen or twenty customers on by then, maybe a few more, um, and we had three hundred waiting. <laughs>
1: And probably really anxious at that point to get that fiber. <laughs> yeah,
0: excited to get that fiber. And we also had, you know, a, a bunch of people on staff. So we're paying them and benefits and we have, you know, we're b- burning into that 3 million because it's right. paying for construction and salaries. But so we're like facing the situation. Do we just do we stop turning up customers for 90 days or, or, or you know, what do we do? because to, to actually connect a customer, the, the installers have to go up and you know attach um, like a drop cable to the MST, run it down to the outside of the house, you know, right, connect sorry. it to the box.
1: The MST is like a connector in the alleyway that um, the, the fiber pass has, has left for, for people who aren't as familiar. Uh, multi-service terminal, I think, is that right?
0: Yeah, that's it. Yeah, Basically a, a splitter, um, but thank you for, for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we run that cable down to the outside of the house, Attach it to a box. Then they have to drill a hole through the house, you know, run the c- cable in, and then it, in theory, somebody has to go inside the house then, and terminate the the fiber to um, the the ONT, the optical network terminal, basically kind of the equivalent of you know your cable modem. Mm-hmm. And then from there, they plug into the uh, the homeowner's Wi-Fi, or we also offer a managed Wi-Fi uh, service as well. So the pandemic, though, made that like go inside somebody's house part a problem um, because basically it was like things were shut down. We, we just couldn't do that. So we quickly improvised and we came up with this concept of assisted installation where basically the installers would um, do the outside work, drill the hole, And then they would leave a box on the porch with instructions for the homeowner to be able to basically from there, all they really have to do is kind of plug, um, you know, cat five jumper kind of kinds of things. So it's not a big deal for a homeowner to, to hook it up Mm -hmm. at the same time. It's, you know, an ISP would prefer to be in to have done that last leg and make sure it's done right and everything and tested.
1: Especially when you get that service call a month later and you're not really sure what what they actually did.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it would be tested from the outside of the house and then, you know, fingers crossed that the homeowner hooked things up correctly and it worked on the inside. Um, And if the homeowner was okay with somebody coming in, I think we had done that for a couple of weeks and then we modified it where we had a like, you know, safe sort of clean installation procedure where, well, an individual goes in all masked up in booties and like you know, does the, does their work gets the install done and disinfects the area and then leaves. And so if the homeowner was okay with that. Um, but that was really interesting because we had to like come up with a quick way to sort of overcome our own, you know, imposed sort of safety precautions to, to try to get customers on the network because we had fiber ready to go. (laughs) So,
1: yes, that's a, it's a difficult position because like you said, you have people who are getting their payroll. And so um the you're you're creating ammunition for people opponents of the network to say oh this was never a good idea look they're struggling to get the people signed up and so you you have a lot of pressure to to figure that out
0: yeah and I mean we had a target of we wanted to be cash flow positive ideally by within 24 months of starting our customer connections so that would have been you know roughly at the end of 2021 so if we lose four months of installations you know, when we're doing Aerial, we were able to do about three or four installations a day and you lose four months of that. That's a lot of customer revenue. And, you know, that pushes that cash flow positive way back.
1: Yeah, especially because then you have to you either have to slow down your rate of installs, which mm-hmm. further creates problems or find another source to to borrow from. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, it's cascading problems from there. Um, but now I feel like between your proactive actions as the the city of Anacortes, um as a result and part of uh, Kim Kleppy and others that are doing really good work uh, on the, the western part of the, the county there, it seems like the whole county is doing some interesting work. I don't know if you want to just if you could briefly recap that for folks who might be interested.
0: The the entire county does have a number of things going on. the The port of Skagit County is actually kind of running the initiative. And I haven't been as close to that the last couple of years because it's been really focused on. <laughs> been a little busy, <laughs> our own implementation. Um, but I know that they've they've been doing some work, um, especially to to get fiber out to the East County where it's it's really underserved. I think they they may only have DSL out there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So work on that as well as extending the existing network. Uh, you know, keeping expanding it in both Mount Vernon and Burlington. As well as kind of there's a business park that's outside of city limits, um, where the port of Skagit Airport is and things like that. There's a bunch of fiber out there. So using it both to try to, to enhance or, you know, offer additional service to underserved as well as to continue to use it as like a business development, uh, economic development driver.
1: Excellent. Well, is there anything else you want to, you want to share with us? I mean, it's, it's just, it's exciting. And, and the fact that this has been led by a, by a group of folks such as yourself who um, started off as citizen activists, folks who are just active in the community. And then uh, that the city um, got excited about it and moved forward with it. It's a, it's a great story. Thank you.
0: Yeah. I, I think the key items are really like building that confidence, having it's good to have some technical resources that, that know the industry, whether that's within the the activist uh, portion of it or or within the elected officials, or even if there's IT staff in City Hall that want to take this on, like the way Mount Vernon did uh, long ago. Other items are, we are roughly on track to be cash flow positive by the end of 2021. We're approaching, I think, 900 active customers on the network to date, and we think we can achieve, I think our ROI is going to come in under um, 15 years. I think we may actually um, be running out of profit quite a bit sooner um, because we've been able to, to use some, essentially some stimulus funds to, to help with some build out. We're chasing some grants as well. So if, if the infrastructure bill comes through with broadband funding uh, at the federal level here this year, then I think there's going to be a real opportunity to to improve projects ROIs, you know projects like this and their ROIs. Mm-hmm. so I encourage folks to be looking at that and, and going after it.
1: That's excellent. let me Let me say this before I thank you. Uh, For folks who are longtime listeners who aren't just turning in because Bruce is on the show, uh, next week, I think I'm going to take it off. I don't think we're going to have a show for next week. Uh, I do want to let people know Mountain Connect is coming up really quickly. It's a really great event. It's in Keystone, west of uh, of Denver. Uh, That's going to be, I believe, August uh, 8th through 10th. But check the website, mountainconnect.org. And uh, there's also, at the end of September, BBC, Broadband Communities, is having their event in Houston. And I'm going to be at both. Uh, Broadband Communities is bbcmag.com, I believe. And uh, anyone listening to this show knows how to find that stuff. But these are going to be good events. It's going to be a great chance to find out what's been going on while we're all sheltering in place. And uh, it's a place in which um, uh, these sorts of events were helpful, as Bruce said, in in getting him uh, educated on uh, what's going on out there. So... I uh, want to throw that out there. I'm looking forward to being back in about two weeks. And uh, Bruce, uh, thank you so much for your time today and, and just being an inspiration out there. Yeah, thank
0: you, Chris. It It's great chatting with you.
1: We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at
0: muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at nets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. licensed through creative commons this was the community broadband bits podcast thanks for listening